The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. That prophecy of Ezekiel has become reality in our generation. The story of Israel is part of the ministry of the Jerusalem Channel. On this historic 70th anniversary of the rebirth of Israel, please consider making a special gift to continue our media ministry through our website, the Jerusalem Channel app, or by mail. In our chaotic world, it's reassuring that God orders the lives of believers. We sadly don't consider or talk often enough about this benefit of being a follower of Jesus, a benefit called the providence of God. Spiritual people naturally hope for and prefer miracles that suspend the laws of nature. But the normal ordering of events in our daily lives happen under God's watchful care. In fact, the providence of God is tremendously important in the life of any believer. Today, let's look at divine providence and consider how it's the usual way that God shows up in ordering our lives. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. When I was growing up, I often heard mature, seasoned Christians talking about the sovereignty of God and the providence of God, referring to how God orders circumstances and works everything together for good for those who love God and who are the called according to His purposes. But as society has become more secular and quite frankly, godless, you don't hear the average person talking about the providence of God. Time was, providence was a way of referring to the Almighty acting either directly or through other people or things. When used with a capital P, providence was, in fact, a euphemism for God, especially when considering how He directs the universe and how He orders the affairs of governments. So what then is the providence of God? I found one answer from the 16th century Heidelberg Catechism. It says, By His hand, the almighty and everywhere present power of God upholds heaven and earth with all creatures and so governs them that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and and sickness, riches and poverty. Yes, all things come not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. So the negative aspects like sickness and poverty are allowed from our Father for any number of reasons, either as faith challenges to overcome 
as discipline and so forth, while his promises of healing and prosperity are in this Bible for the believing. Now, the derivation of the word providence has to do with provision. Simply put, God provides for all things. In Judaism, divine providence concerns the Almighty's oversight of individuals. In the Torah, in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham discovered a sacrificial ram that he could substitute on the altar so he didn't have to sacrifice his son Isaac. And in gratitude, Abraham named the place Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. However, the word translated as provide in Genesis 22:14 is actually the verb to see. This means God sees our situations and provides for them. The Lord who sees will see to it on our behalf. Isn't that marvelous? So God rules the entire universe, but he also influences the minute details of our lives, our health, our friendships, jobs, interpersonal relationships, financial needs, and so forth. When we belong to God, there's no such thing as a coincidence. Instead, there are many God incidences in our lives. Thank God, we're not the absolute masters of our fate. Whether we like it or not, we simply need the Almighty to rule and to overrule in our lives because ultimately He knows more than we could possibly know and He always knows best. You see, there's really no such thing as blind fate, but there's a God who guides and governs the world and also our individual lives with great watch care. People are created by God as spiritual beings, despite the fact that many today claim to be non-religious or atheists or agnostics. But because we're created spirits that live in a body and have a soul, we have a tendency as human beings to crave the supernatural. More than ever, people need guidance in an increasingly uncertain world. But tragically, rather than seeking the living God, People might go to fortune tellers, pray to angels, or dabble in all sorts of pop witchcraft to try to get a handle on things. Providence is an old-fashioned word, but it needs to make a comeback. And by the way, Providence is the name of the capital of the little American state of Rhode Island. It's one of the oldest cities in the United States. Providence was founded in 1636 by a man named Roger Williams, a Reformed Baptist theologian. He was a religious exile from the Massachusetts Bay Colony. He named Providence in honor of God's merciful providence, he said, because he believed that divine providence had led him to a new haven for himself and for his followers. But if you asked the average man on the street today the meaning of the city's name, I doubt that very few could offer a theological explanation. Well, I was fascinated to see that Wikipedia on the Internet has devoted an entire page to divine providence. In theology, a distinction is usually made between general providence, which refers to God's continuous upholding the natural order of the universe, and special providence, concerning God's intervention in the lives of individuals. 
As an example of divine providence, theologians often point out that it wasn't by chance that Israel's evil king Ahab, who was married to the notorious Jezebel, was struck down by an arrow that hit him precisely in between the seams of his armor. Truly, that arrow had to be directed by the hand of God to hit the mark. And it wasn't by chance that Caesar Augustus ordered a census to be taken in the year of our Lord's birth. And because of the census, the lives of Joseph and Mary were interrupted, forcing them to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And thus, the Lord's birth in Bethlehem as a descendant of King David became a fulfillment of Bible prophecy found in Micah 5.2. And it wasn't by chance that the Samaritan woman had a divine encounter at Jacob's well with Jesus. It wasn't by accident that Paul had a Macedonian call in a dream. God was moving in all of these situations, and I could go on and on about divine appointments. But theologians say that all these events were foreseen and written down in the books of divine providence from the beginning of time. Now, Proverbs 16.33 records that in the Bible, lots were cast to ascertain God's will. But even that wasn't sheer chance because God himself, the verse says, always determined the outcome. Through the centuries in the providence of God, there have been great discoveries such as gravity and electricity benefiting mankind, but God is also providential in the minutia that concern our lives. While on the one hand, Psalm 103, 19 is lofty, and the psalmist declares his kingdom rules over all, yet the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 1:11 that God's individual care of all of us is also true. Paul wrote that God chose and predestined us and makes everything in our lives work out according to his plan. In fact, our God is running the universe while also orchestrating our lives. Isn't that amazing? But Hebrews 1.3 informs us that the Messiah upholds all things by the word of his power. It's been said that when God's not at the steering wheel, he's the backseat driver. He's the coach calling the signals from the bench. He causes great doors to swing on small hinges. Think, for example, of how Moses' parents, by faith, put him in a little ark to float out onto the Nile River to try to preserve his life when Pharaoh had decreed that all the male Hebrew babies should be killed. But Moses' cry was heard by none other than Pharaoh's daughter. She saved him and brought him up in the palace. And the destiny of Israel was preserved through the life of that helpless baby. That was divine providence. Also, Queen Esther found favor in the eyes of the king. And through her intercessions with the king, the Jewish nation was once again preserved from destruction. That too was the providence of God. In these matters, Psalm 75, 7 is an important verse, and we've seen it dramatically played out in recent political events. It says, God is the one who judges. He puts down one and sets up another. 
Think of the manifold providences of God in the reestablishment of the state of Israel. During the Nazi Holocaust, the hope of the Jews was dried up. Yet out of the ashes, God raised up a phoenix nation and a fierce military power that's the envy of all the Arab neighbors. New Israel has thrived despite hell itself trying to destroy it. Concerning Israel, divine providence is invincible. God preserved the lives of Jacob and all the patriarchs. After Joseph had been tested long enough in Egypt, God set his release in motion. The prison couldn't hold him any longer. God also ordered all of the peculiar circumstances in the life of the Bible's strong man, Samson, even when his parents didn't understand what was going on. And when it was time to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, King Cyrus issued a proclamation to encourage the Jews to rebuild their temple and worship God again in Jerusalem. Think of when the Apostle Peter needed finances to pay taxes in Capernaum. Jesus instructed him to go fishing. In Matthew 17, Jesus said to Peter, Go down to the lake and throw in a line. Open the mouth of the first fish you catch, and you'll find a large silver coin. Take it and pay the tax for both of us. Well, knowledge of the future is an attribute of God because He lives outside of time. In the providence of God, the Holy Spirit will alert us to certain things concerning the future. For example, sometimes I know by the intuition of the Holy Spirit when somebody is going to call me on the phone or when an invitation to speak somewhere is coming. So when the invitation comes, God's already told me about it, letting me know that He's in that particular assignment. So let's increase our faith in the Almighty by watching for divine providence in the little things that happen on a daily basis in our lives. For example, He'll delight us by leading us to an incredible bargain. He'll see to it that the last airline seat available is allocated to you. Something will come in the post to confirm a decision in your life. When I made my first trip to Africa with a team of evangelist Reinhard Bonke, my husband needed faith to let me go on that journey. The meetings were to be held in Kenya, and while we were considering the trip, my husband received a postcard from a pastor in Kenya. Well, we'd never received posts from him before or since, but those colorful Kenyan stamps were God's way of saying to my husband that it would be okay for me to go to Kenya. Also, the airfare was paid for through one of the many God incidences in my life. Recently, somebody entrusted me with some British pounds. It wasn't a lot of money, but it was a donation that I'd been asked to pass on to an Israeli believer to bless somebody in need in Israel. And God put it on my heart to give the donation to a faithful brother who's also a prayer intercessor. I knew he needed car repairs, but I couldn't locate him and I was about to leave the country. Just as my transportation arrived inside Jaffa Gate to take me to the airport, I saw the brother walking inside Jaffa Gate, and so without missing a beat, I was able to put the funds into his hands. The Lord orders our footsteps continually coming and going. Well, over 300 prophecies were fulfilled at the time of Passover when Jesus, 
Yeshua is his Hebrew name, made atonement for Israel and the world. Most of these prophecy fulfillments took place because of events ordered by the Lord. For example, let's consider providence in the burial of Jesus, an essential gospel fact included in the Apostles' Creed, which says that he was crucified, died, and was buried. And on the third day he arose again and so forth. The church remembers the death of Jesus and certainly we celebrate his resurrection on Sundays. But his burial is also extremely important. And that's why his burial is specifically mentioned as historic fact in the Apostles' Creed. And all four Gospels record various details of the burial of Jesus. Since Jesus was crucified as a common criminal on our behalf, his dead body would have been thrown, heaven forbid, on the waste dump. But heaven did forbid. Just in time and seemingly out of nowhere, a rich man, a member of Israel's Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin, arrived on the scene. We don't hear of this rich man before or after, but all four gospel writers mention him. Matthew 27 says, as evening approached, there came a man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to the Roman governor Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. And then he rolled a big stone in front of the entrance of the tomb. And Mark 15 mentions Joseph's bravery in coming forward to request the corpse of a man who, after all, was crucified as a criminal. Mark says that Joseph of Arimathea gathered up courage and went in before the governor Pilate to ask for the body of Jesus. Furthermore, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, there's also a description of Jesus' burial like this. It says, Behold, a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, that's the Sanhedrin, was a good and righteous man because he had not consented to their plan and action to crucify Jesus, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to the Roman governor and asked for the body of Jesus. And so we learn that not far from Golgotha, the place of crucifixion, it just so happened in the providence of God that Joseph of Arimathea owned a new tomb that had been hewn for himself and that had never been used. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he decided to donate his expensive new tomb for the burial of Jesus. He was a secret believer, but he wanted to spare Jesus the final indignity of being thrown on the waste heap. So I wonder if Joseph realized that he was actually fulfilling the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 53 in the Hebrew Scriptures concerning Jesus' burial in a rich man's grave. Let's look at that prophecy in Isaiah 53. Starting with verse 8, it says concerning the Lord's suffering servant, he was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? 
for he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And here's verse 9 of Isaiah 53, which prophesies, And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Bible scholars inform us that Isaiah 53 was written over 700 years before the ministry and death of Jesus. Concerning Joseph of Arimathea, at least one of the 71 members on the Sanhedrin court believed in Jesus. The Apostle Paul observed in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he said, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called by God. Paul said, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential and certainly not many of you were of noble birth. But Paul said, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And God chose the lowly and despised things of this world. Why? So that no one may boast before God. So Joseph of Arimathea was one of the few noble, prominent men in Jerusalem who was saved at that time. The turn of events was remarkable and absolutely providential. Jesus' enemies had planned a grave for him among the wicked, but providence decreed that he was buried with the rich, just as Isaiah 53.9 had predicted 700 years earlier. And we mustn't forget John's account of Jesus' burial. In the Gospel of John, Nicodemus shows up to help Joseph of Arimathea bury Jesus. Nicodemus, you may recall, was the teacher who visited Jesus under the cover of darkness in John chapter 3. And because of that great providential encounter, Jesus gave Nicodemus the gospel in John 3:16, the teaching about how the Holy Spirit leads us to be born again. So now Nicodemus comes with a mixture of myrrh and other spices, and the text says about 75 pounds according to John's gospel. And these two prominent men prepare Jesus' body for burial in accordance with Jewish customs. And at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was providentially a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. But Jesus only needed it, after all, for the weekend, as Bible teacher Chuck Missler of Blessed Memory often quipped. Now think of the timing and location of all of this in the providence of God. Jesus had to dismiss his spirit before sunset, before the Sabbath, and before his legs would be broken by the Roman soldiers. Because according to both Jewish law and Bible prophecy, not a bone of the Passover lamb could be broken. And although the Lord died at the execution place of the skull, nearby was the tranquility of a garden where his burial was kingly with the rich. Just as Isaiah had prophesied, a linen shroud was provided along with the costly spices. That's the providence of God. Well, it's been rightly said that providence is a Christian's diary. 
It's our journal of things that we remember, but it's not our Bible. The Jewish sages taught that there must be an appropriate balance between personal effort and trust in God. On the one hand, it's our duty to walk in integrity every day and to make godly decisions. But we must also earnestly seek the wisdom and direction of God in prayer with believing confidence in all of the precepts laid down in this word of God. We should always seek the Lord and lean not unto our own understanding because of our own human limitations and short-sightedness. The Bible commentaries on the providence of God are so encouraging. God's providence reaches to all persons, especially people who belong to God. God takes care of every believer in particular. First Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And Psalm 33 says beautifully, Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. One of my favorites, Psalm 34, 7, decrees that the angel of the Lord encamps around about them that fear him and delivers them. And so this tells us that by his providential care, God shields off dangers from his people and he sets a lifeguard of angels surrounding us. Psalm 34:20 is also a special verse promising that he protects the bones of the righteous. Not one of them, it says, will be broken. So that's a precious verse to believe and to declare over your loved ones. In Psalm 56, 8, God bottles our tears. It says, you have kept count of my wanderings. You put my tears in your bottle. Have you not recorded them in your book? And of course, the beloved Psalm 23 says that he supplies all of our needs. And I love this promise in Psalm 41, 3. The Lord sustains believers on their sickbed and restores them from their bed of illness. The Hebrew of this verse is descriptive of tender nursing. So God provides for us in countless and sometimes surprising ways. The prophet Elijah was fed by ravens. And I read that when the Protestants were besieged by the French king, God sent a great number of small fish to feed them. And those type of fish were never before seen in the water of that particular region. The Gospels indicate that Jesus' parents were poor. Yet, when Joseph was warned in a dream to flee to Egypt and take Mary and the baby with him to escape from King Herod, God had already provided for their journey. He had sent the wise men from the east who had presented them with costly gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh before the Christ child. And now the Holy Family had enough provision to defray the costs of their journey. Well, when I was studying the Bible commentaries this week, I was particularly blessed by an exhortation that we should admire the providence of God. If God's providence should be withdrawn even for a moment, total chaos would ensue. And so I want to encourage you always to trust God, although things don't seem to be going okay in your present circumstances. But God's promises are always to be trusted. God promised the crown of Israel to David. 
But for such a long time, he was hunted like a criminal and an outlaw by the apostate King Saul. David's life was constantly in danger. Things didn't look too good for him. But it was David's duty to keep trusting God. And of course, eventually, we know he was crowned king. So let's purpose to overcome our tests and trust God when the events in our lives seem to run contrary to our hopes and even to God's promises. Remember that one of the names of God is the Lord who provides or the Lord who will see to it. So let's learn to submit to God without murmuring and complaining, which he hates. Let's be content to let God run this world. Let's learn to acquiesce to his will and submit to his providence, being always grateful for everything he continually does for us behind the scenes. Well, I hope these programs are a blessing to you. It's always a delight to hear from those who've been strengthened. And we invite you to contact us on the social media or through our website at exploits.tv, where you can sign up to receive our weekly updates and also our free color magazine, Exploits, based upon Daniel 11.32. Now, please don't forget to download our free Jerusalem Channel app. Our new app enables you to watch all of our videos at any time, to make orders from our bookshop, and to read the entire Bible. So download the app to your mobile phone or tablet free of charge. And so until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Dart, Maranatha, and Shalom.